0: Okay, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this day that you have given us, this time and this place that you've allowed us to gather together. We, we do pray, Lord, that above all else, um, you would find our worship of you today um, acceptable and pleasing. Lord, it's, it's my desire that, that above all, you are glorified today that you are magnified today. Lord, I also desire that you would continue to grow, to, to edify, to strengthen um, those of us who you have saved. Jesus, it's my desire that that as we come to know you more, that we would love you more, that we would desire to 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 serve you more and that we would desire or have a greater desire to make you known that you, Father, might continue and would continue to save many. And we do pray for that, Lord. God, we thank you for our salvation, but we pray, Lord, that you would continue to save, that you would grant repentance and faith. Lord, we know that when you when you save people, when you saved us, that, that you do it Primarily for for your glory, but you also do it for for our good. And so I pray that you would save for your glory and for the good of those whom you save. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for how you manifested your, your love for us in dying for us. We ask Jesus these things now in your name and for your sake. Amen. Okay, well, last week we finished, uh, we finished John's, right, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So we finished 3rd John last week, and so I'm not going to start anything until start anything new until um, next month. I don't know what I'm going to do, so I, I would appreciate that, that you pray for me over the next several weeks as I um, seek God's direction and, and where to go as far as what, what to start next as far as a, a book, a study, where we're going to be. Um, so, so I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. Which was kind of uh, 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 motivated by a, a lesson that I did last week um, in our equipping time. And last week, week in our equipping time, we were talking about, you know, we've been going through this series on on uh, uh, unity in the church. And um, last week we talked in part about uh, uh, part giving, giving of ourselves, giving of our, our time, our talents, our 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 money, which is always an uncomfortable thing for me to talk about. Um, specifically when it comes to giving his money. And then there was was something else outside of that that kind of motivated this morning's, uh, we'll call it a lesson, lesson sermon, I don't call it what you want, I don't really really care, but uh, um, which kind of motivated it. So I titled, I'm going to tell you the title here. And um, I titled this morning's lesson slash sermon, Show Me the Money. Now, now you might be thinking, <laughs> Denny's shaking his head already. You you might be thinking that I that I ripped that I ripped that title off of the there was that movie Jerry Maguire right back in the day that I ripped that title off from Jerry Maguire. But I didn't I didn't. It just happens to be the same. But I didn't rip that title off from Jerry Maguire. In fact, I I, I took it from the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. You probably could say I I, I took that 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 title from most. Most churches today, right? At least something at some point that they've they've taught, or have, have proclaimed. So I, show me the money. And what you'll probably find is is it's going to be a little bit uh, different, uh, a different a uh, lesson or sermon on on tithing and giving than you've ever heard before. It would probably get me in trouble, at most churches or, or even kicked me out. I know our last church probably would have kicked me out if I would have preached this. So just I'm going to preface it all. By saying that. But recently, um, here within the last several weeks, Ronnie Floyd, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he gave instruction to pastors concerning year end giving. And I'm going to read to you what he said. He said, The key question we need to ask repeatedly is this As you review and understand clearly all of your sources of income in 2014, have you honored God by giving at least the first one-tenth to your local church? If you have not, then ensure you do so before December 31st so that you can know you have walked in complete obedience to God in 2014 in relationship to biblical stewardship. Then, once, the, um, then once they have given at least 10%, he says, challenge your people to give above the first tenth and a special offering to the church or join you in giving to the church to support international missions. Then in another recent sermon concerning tithing, Floyd stated, "When we honor the Lord with the first fruits, then we've got the supernatural power of God working for everything else in that bucket. By by bucket, he means your own financial personal bucket. Um, But but listen, I don't want to honor. If I don't want to honor God with my first fruits, then I've got the supernatural power of God working against me and." My buckets now this the, what, what what Floyd has challenged pastors with and what he has stated is fairly normative within Christendom. I think a lot of it stems, and most of us have probably heard this passage when it comes to, to giving and tithing before it comes from Malachi um, three so I'm going to turn there real quick Malachi three, nine through ten. Malachi is the last uh, last book of the Old Testament. 3, 9 through 10, and I've heard this, this preached many times um, in, in regards to, to the church and, and us supposed to be giving. 3, 9 through 10, um, actually I'm going to read in 8. Um, Will man rob God? You are robbing me, but you say, have you, how have we robbed you and your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation, of you. He says, God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. Now, all of this, I think, begs a couple of questions. And again, this is probably not something most of us have considered or thought about when it comes to to giving, when it comes to tithing. Um, I know me growing up, I mean, it was 10%. That was what the Bible said, and so that, that's it. So we're going to look at that today, right? So a couple questions that just, just pop into my mind, probably popped into your mind, is one is, does God require a tithe of 10% of everything I earn? Second question is, will I be blessed financially, physically, if I give, and cursed if I don't? And so what we're going to do is we're going to start in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the tithe, okay? And then we're going to move on from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now, when it comes to Scripture and giving, I'm going to submit to you that there are two types um, described in, in Scripture. There's one um, compulsory, right? It means uh, required giving. Right? It's non-optional. And the other one is voluntary. Okay, we're going to start looking at the tithes of the Old Testament. In fact, there were three tithes of the Old Testament. Let's go to Genesis um, uh, Genesis chapter 14 is where we're going to begin. Genesis chapter 14, um, we're going to look at verses 18 through 21. This is Abram and Melchizedek here. And in verse uh, 18 of Genesis chapter 14, it says, um, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God's Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him says a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Now, tenth here, uh, uh, the, the Hebrew word for tenth is... I'm probably mispronouncing that, but that's okay. Your translation might say tithe, okay? Anywhere in Scripture in the Old Testament where where it says tithe or it says a tenth, it's the same word. Tithe means, simply put this way, tithe means tenth. So Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had. That was a tenth of everything. That wasn't... um, that wasn't a tenth of his, his coins, his silver, his gold. I don't know if they had coins then at this point in history. But but he gave him a tenth of everything that he possessed. Now, I, I want you to take note of this with Abram, though. Um, it, his giving to Melchizedek here was not required giving. It was voluntary. Uh, Abram voluntarily gave Melchizedek this, this 10%. Now, let's look at Leviticus. Leviticus uh, uh, 27, 30 through 33, and the first tithe that we're going to look at this morning was the Levitical or the sacred tithe. So again, we're going to look at three tithes from the Old Testament. The first is the Levitical or the sacred tithe, and again, tithe 10, or 10th, 10%. So Leviticus, again, 27, 30 through 33. Okay. It says every tithe, 10th, right? Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And if every tithe of herds and flocks, every 10th animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff, shall be staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy, and it shall not be redeemed. Okay, so one, the tithe here in Leviticus, again this is the Levitical sacred tithe, was a tithe of what was, we'll say, produced agriculturally, right, uh, uh, livestock or or crops, and in verse 31, what we see is that if you wish to actually keep whatever it was that you produced, I mean, historically, they gave that actual product. If you, if you raised 10 cows, then you tithed a cow. That would be a tenth, okay? But if, if the individual wished to keep that, that cow, all right, that individual could, could redeem it by tithing an additional fifth or 20% of the value, and thereby could, could keep what he wanted to keep. So there was an option here for keeping your agricultural goods and instead giving, giving money. But, but traditionally, historically, practically, the tithe wasn't money. It was actually whatever was produced agriculturally. Let's look at Numbers, Numbers uh, 18. Numbers 18, 21, and 24. God says to the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the, tent, in the tent of meeting. Verse 24 it says, For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they represent as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. So, as in Israel was a a theocracy, okay? And the Levites acted in part as the civil government. So, the Levitical tithe is what literally funded the operation of this theocratic government. The the Levitical tithe was 10% of everything produced, or again, if you wanted to keep what you had and and give money instead, 12%, which would work out to the 10th plus a 5th of the 10th, okay, um, of everything produced, if you wanted to give that money, okay? But this is what the Levitical tithe was, right? It was to go to the Levites to keep the temple and the government in part going, right? So that's the first tithe, it was the, the Levitical tithe, right, amounted to 10%. Now there was a second tithe. Okay. The second tithe is the tithe of the feasts. Look at Deuteronomy fourteen. Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, we're looking at verses twenty-two through twenty-seven. Starting in verse twenty two of Deuteronomy fourteen. God says to Israel, "You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God, in the place that He will choose to make His name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord, your God always. And if the Lord, I'm sorry, and if the way is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, When the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household, and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So this second annual tithe, now these are annual tithes. The first one, the Levitical tithe, right, that was an annual tithe of 10%. The second tithe, the tithe of feasts, is an annual tithe, right, 10%, okay, and it was an addition to the Levitical tithe, uh, the Levitical, sorry, tithe. Essentially, right, this tithe funded a national religious festival, uh, um, for us today, that would be like tithing, putting back, saving, giving it to the church to go to to a, a church camp or a Christian conference or something something along those lines, right? So the first tithe was a Levitical tithe, 10%. Second tithe, tithe of feasts, 10%. And the third tithe is the tithe for the poor. We're going to look at three sets of verses here. We'll start in Exodus um Exodus chapter 23, verses um, 10 and 11. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard, And with your olive orchard. Now let's uh, flip over to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Makes me think of Ruth. Right when I when I read this passage, because that's what she was doing when she right came to Israel. Um, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare; neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And here in Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, we get a little bit more specifics on this this tithe for the poor. Right? Deuteronomy fourteen verses 28 and 29. So the first, as you're turning there, 28 and 29 of Deuteronomy 14, the first two tithes, right? Levitical, the, the, the tithe of the feast, those were annual 10% each, right? And here in the tithe of the poor in Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 39, it says, at the end of every three years, right? Three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year, and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands that you do. So the first two passages that we dealt with dealing with the tithe of the poor, uh, uh, giving to the poor, it doesn't specify a tenth or anything like that. It's, it's glean. Uh, uh, don't, don't go all the way to the edge of your fields. Don't pick up the gleanings. Even though you can make money from that, leave what it's there for the poor. We won't put a value or a percentage on that, but it, but it does equate to something. The other passage, you know, produce for six years and the sixth year, leave that. In that case, that sixth year or seventh year, whichever, however that falls, you're actually tithing everything of what you've agriculturally produced, okay? But in this last passage in Deuteronomy, we see there was an additional specific tithe every three years, which equates to what? If we wanted to break that down annually, 3.33%. Okay, now I'm going to put this all together, okay? So what was the annual giving required of Israel. We had 10% from the Levitical tithe. We had 10% from the tithe of feasts. And if we break down the tithe for the poor, we had the 3.33% plus all the other stuff that they left, right? But we'll just just stick with the percentage, okay? So putting all that together, the annual giving required of Israel was 2333 Okay. now from all my studying from, from going through all of these passages commentaries on these passages okay it's, it's my conclusion that, that these tithes right that, that Israel was commanded um, to give were on agricultural goods that were produced they were agricultural tithes okay if, if uh, Naomi and Ruth, let's think about Naomi and Ruth for a minute, go all the way back to when I preached through that. They weren't farmers, were they? No. They had what? Nothing, right? They were poor. Were Naomi and Ruth required to tithe under this system? They weren't, because they weren't farmers. They weren't herdsmen, okay? They were, they were scraping by. So these tithes, as prescribed in the Old Testament, for Israel, were for the herdsmen, were for the farmers. Okay, so here's what it comes down to, right? Now, this might be a shock to some. The Old Testament tithe was a compulsory, right? What does that mean? It means required. Okay. The Old Testament tithe was a compulsory agricultural tax of 23.33%. We're breaking it down to these passages that's what the Old Testament tithe was it was an agricultural tax right that Israel would operate all right so let's let's apply let's go back to Malachi 3 9 through ten right that we've all probably heard at some point um, or another I can remember um, one sermon uh, in in particular um, at a church that we used to attend where this passage was was the passage that was preached um, And directed um, specifically towards us as as the church. And again, Malachi 3, 9 through 10. We'll read it one more time. Or actually, I'm going to start in 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Okay, so I, I can remember have, having heard this, again, on numerous occasions, but one time particularly that, listen, we the church are not giving 10%. And because we're not giving our 10%, but, but didn't I just say it was twenty three point three three percent that's what it was. But but anyway, that we're not giving 10%. And because we're not giving 10%, we're robbing God. And so we need to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and on and on and on. So now let's consider this passage of Malachi 3, 9 through 10 within the context of the Old Testament tithes. Israel was not paying. It is what it is. They weren't paying their taxes. They weren't paying their 23.33% plus their others with the with the crops and whatnot, and they weren't giving it to God. And God says, you're robbing me. You're not doing what I have required of you, right? And he says, put me to the test. He says, if you repent and you obey, then I will provide for you abundantly. Listen, they were an agrarian, agrarian, agrarian. They were an agrarian society. Their life revolved around growing crops and producing um uh uh, raising raising animals okay and and i can imagine i'm not i mean it's not me but i can imagine it would be hard at times if my life is is attached to the field and it's a bad year to give that to god i'm like wait a minute lord you want me to give you 23.33 percent of what i just produced but it was a bad year for me i can't do that and live and god says to them he says give me what is due me And I will provide, I will provide for you. Okay. Now, we're going to slowly bring this to us and how the tithe relates to us. And then we're going to go to the New Testament and talk about giving that's not compulsory. All right. So, requiring, this is probably what would get me in trouble, um, most places i'm speaking for randy here as well i'm just going to throw that out so you don't know it's just me um requiring or teaching that a tithe right a tenth is required is nothing more than holding to a legalistic and unbiblical tradition so then we have to ask where does where does that leave us all right because that's what we've been that's what i've been taught from from day one right that the first 10% is God's. You pay God what, what, what is his, right? That's what's required of believers. It says it in the Old Testament. Well, we just saw this morning, right, that it wasn't 10% that Israel paid. It was 23.33% plus all these extra things from the field that was left, okay? But where does where does that leave us? So what I want to do is I want to throw out some things to consider first before we go to the New Testament, okay, um, and see what the New Testament or how the New Testament deals with the tithe and, and giving. Um, First is this uh, Psalm 24, and we would all be wise to to remember this. Psalm 24, verse one says, "The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein." Listen, everything is God's. Everything is God's. When Israel was required to tithe 23.33%, right? When, when they were required that seventh year or whatever year it was to, to leave the crop for the poor, when they were required not to pick up, right, that grain that fell off the whatever and, and to the edges of the fields, right? Listen, everything was God. The stuff that they left was God. The stuff that they picked up was God. The stuff that they kept for themselves, the other 76 point whatever whatever percent, all of that was God's, okay? Everything, everything is God's, all right? Now, this reality forces us to face the fact of, of stewardship, okay? That our time, our time is not our time, but in fact, our time is God's time, right? Um, our talents, our talents are not our, our talents. Um, they're, they're, they're God's talents, our resources, our resources. Our money, the cash you have in the bank, the possessions that you have at home—it's—it's it's not yours. Right? Nothing is. I don't know if this is grammatically correct, but nothing is anyone anyone's. Is not nothing is everyone's. I don't know, but you get the point, right? Our stuff does not belong to stuff. Our stuff does not belong to us, but it's God's because everything is God's. This building, it's God's. Mister Dykus or the Dykus Family Trust doesn't own this building. They don't. I mean. Okay, maybe in the the eyes of the the state of Oklahoma, but but they don't own it. It's God's building, right? Okay, you get the point. All right, another thing I want you to consider. um, This church, God's church, right? This is his. It's his building, right? We gather together, right? The air you're breathing right now is, in fact, God's. It is. Todd Frey always asks, have you thanked him for it today? Like, oh, no, but it is his. Okay, but this church. This church requires giving if it is to function. So just, just putting all these realities together. We're not required to tithe 10%, let alone 23.33%, okay? Um, but this church needs money if it is to function, um, or resources, or giving if it is to function. We do need money, right? We've got to keep the lights on. We've got to keep the heat running, which, which runs intermittently at times, right? But we've got to keep it going anyway, all right? So, so we do need money. But this church also needs talents. Right? We're talking. We're putting all these under the envelope of giving. Okay, the church needs talent. Um, we need people that can that can that can lead us in music. All right. We need people that that are gifted with with teaching that can that can teach. Okay. We need people uh, that can cook. I mean, at times someone's asked and said, "Hey, can you take a meal to this family?" Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. We need people that can fix stuff. That can put walls up. That can paint. That can do these things. So we need. We need talents. We need tangible goods. You know, I bet 90% of, of what fills this room was given to us directly as that tangible good. The pews that you're sitting in were given to us by another church. The chairs that you're sitting in were given to us by another church. The carpet was purchased by a family. Um, this pulpit was given to us by another church. Church, right? And then some people gave money to buy specific, specific things, right? But as far as giving, we we need we do need money, right? We need talents, okay? We need we need tangible goods to go, and we also need servants. We need people that will that will do when the doing needs to be done. So as far as giving is concerned, we're, we're lumping all this under we'll say New Testament giving. Yeah, we need those things if, as a church, we're we're to continue to do what God has called us to do. Okay. Also, I want to say this. God has provided, as a church, God has provided all of our physical uh, needs and has done so abundantly since we first uh, first started meeting. We've, we've always been able to keep the lights on. I might have missed a payment once or twice because I missed the bill in the mail, but that was my, my fault, right? But no, But we've, we've always been able to keep the lights on. OK, we've always been able to keep the water going. We've always had right, chairs to sit in, uh, hymnals to, to sing from. OK, when there's been financial needs and, and we don't pass anything around. You all know that we don't bring up financial needs often. Occasionally there has been a pressing financial need at which we've said, listen, here's the deal. Here's a need. And the church has always responded just overwhelmingly, which is ultimately God providing for his his people. So praise God that he has provided for us and has done so abundantly and graciously. Okay, so if, and we're going to move over to the New Testament. If Christians, that's us, aren't required to give a tithe of 10%, then how do we apply these Old Testament passages concerning the tithe? Okay, and we're going to get to New Testament giving, giving here momentarily. Okay, I mean we we need it. We've talked about, but listen, us needing it, going back to talk about what the church needs, us needing it doesn't create a biblical principle. Just because the church, just because we need to turn lights on, or we think we need to turn lights on, doesn't create a biblical principle that thou shalt give the exact amount to turn the lights on, right? Okay, um, but how do we first apply these Old Testament passages? concerning the, the tithe so i'm gonna i'm gonna submit this to you again which might be novel to to some of you i know it would get me again in trouble in most places um let's let's start in um matthew you know matthew chapter 22 and then we're gonna go over to romans chapter 13 Matthew 22, we're going to look at verses 15 through 22. All right, Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, in talking about Jesus, him and his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Now let's go over to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrong direction. Now, real quick, all right, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to throw this out. Just keep in mind the government that Paul is writing this while being under. I mean, we're like, no, but you haven't. I mean, look at our government today. You're telling us to do what? All right, this is Paul writing under Roman occupation. Okay, just just keep that in mind as we go through this passage. Therefore, one must be, uh, picking back up in verse 5, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed owed. Okay. So, how do we apply these Old Testament passages concerning the the tithes? Because there is an application for us there. All right. If not 10%, right, which again, it wouldn't be 10. Technically, it'd be 23.33 because that's what Israel was required. How do we apply them? Here's how we apply them in light of Matthew 22 and Matthew, I'm sorry, in We honor the civil government that God has placed over us and we pay our taxes. That's the application. How do we apply the Old Testament tithe? Well, according to Jesus and according to Matthew, I'm sorry, according to to Paul in Romans, we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Okay, so knowing the tithe doesn't technically apply to us, some will still argue that it's a good standard or a starting point, right? Well, okay, you're right. The tithe doesn't technically belong to. I mean, you know, it technically was this tax that Israel paid to keep it to keep it going. So it it technically doesn't uh, 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 apply to us, but it's a good standard or, or starting point. Ten percent, right? I've I've read that even in my studying, that ten percent still a good standard or a starting point. But but it's not. And one, it's not because it's not it's not biblical. Um, now, now there is a standard in the New Testament that we're going to look at here in just a moment. But saying that 10% is a good standard and a good starting point, one, it's not because it's not biblical. Two, those who use 10% still don't get it because it wasn't 10%. The tithe was 23.33%. So let me say this. I mean, though I would disagree, I could respect the man who could say, well, let's let's give the 23.33% because at least he's being at least he's being consistent, right? The one who's saying 10% is being traditional, 23.33, at least it's consistent. Um, so what does the new testament i mean what direction do we have right i mean god hasn't left us directionless when it comes to this okay tithe doesn't apply to us it's not it's not 10 percent application of the tithe is this it's render under caesar what is caesar's it's it's pay your taxes so let's do this let's look at second corinthians second corinthians uh, we we do have a standard of of giving right stipulations Uh, placed upon the church when it comes to giving. But what we'll find in the New Testament when it comes to giving, Old Testament tithes, they were compulsory. They were required, right? When they didn't pay, God said, what, Malachi, you're robbing me, right? The New Testament, right, when it addresses giving from believers, it's not compulsory, but it's voluntary. New Testament giving, that's us, that's where we're at, that's what we're under, is never... Compulsory, but it's always to be voluntary so let's look at second corinthians second corinthians um, chapter nine chapter nine verses six through seven The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now I'm going to stop there. We're going to go. We're going to look at seven, um, seven in a second here, but but I, I, want, I want to explain something to you. Verse six is often abused. Let me say that it's it's probably more than often abused. It's probably almost always abused. Uh, right here, New Testament giving. If you sow bountifully, you are going to reap. Bountifully. If you give your last $10, God will in turn give you a $100 or whatever, whatever they're, they're peddling in whatever form they're peddling. Listen, that, that's not what, what the passage is talking about. When it, when it addresses reaping bountifully, it's not talking about you personally reaping bountifully as a result of your giving. Here what the, here's, what, here's what this passage, or what verse 6 anyway, is, is saying. If you want the kingdom... To grow, not your portfolio, right? Not your, your pocketbook, not your possessions. If you want the kingdom to grow and to go, then give, right? You want to see people saved, right? You want to see you want to see missionaries sent in villages and communities and countries converted? You want to see the gospel go forward, then what? Then you've got to sow. If you want to see a harvest reaped has nothing to do with with you and your personal anything it has to do with a kingdom harvest not a not a Nate harvest. So again, whoever sows sparingly, if you sow sparingly into the kingdom, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully into the kingdom, you want to see the kingdom go and you want to see the kingdom grow, then sow Bountifully. Verse 7. And in verse 7 is really where we get our standard of Christian giving. Right? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. And give. Listen. Giving. Under giving. We're going to put money under giving. Right? We're going to put talents under giving. We're going to put time under giving. Right, we're gonna put general resources stuff. Because we're lumping all this under giving. It's not. It's not just money because we understand this. That we're all in different circumstances in life. Okay, I don't. I don't know your. I don't know your finances. I don't want to know your finances. Okay, I don't. I don't. I don't care really. I mean, I, I, I. don't. Right. But what I know is that God has given you stuff. He's given you time. We all have the same amount of time. Right. Some of you have talents that I don't have. Right. Incredible talent right? Um, some of you have other resources, maybe stuff that you can do that you can put together, you can serve here, you can do that, right? Some, some does have do have I mean, some of us do have money that you can whatever, okay? but we're just talking about giving, giving of all of, of that. So he says, each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. okay? So Israel had these, these, these three tithes, we'll say these three requirements okay as taxes right so we have kind of three standards given to us when it comes to our giving right and it's not 10% it's not 23.33% right but it's this we give what we've decided in our in our hearts what what you give that's you know what and it is people say that's between you and God but it is it's what you've decided in your in your heart how you give whether it's 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 money and we've, we've talked about it. We, we do need money but we also need time and we need talents and 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 we need stuff that's that's between that's between you and God what you've decided in your heart you you have to be accountable to him on that not not me because again we're stewards of all of his stuff, so how you give what you give why you give when you give where you give that's a stewardship issue between you and him. The second one is this that we give what we give voluntarily believers never to give under compulsion. I don't, I don't want you to ever feel obligated to give to, to this church, whatever it is that you're giving. In fact, if you feel obligated, then I'm going to tell you don't give. Don't give. If you, if you feel obligated to give, we've had people come visit, you know, and they're like, well, we, we need to tithe. We want to put whatever in. And, and we've told them, one, we don't, want, we, don't, we don't want your, it's not a tithe, your offering. Right? I mean, listen, oh no, but I really want to. I know I don't have to, but I'm just happy to be here this morning and God is just, well, I'm not going to argue with you there, but what I don't want is someone to come and feel like, well, they came into the church and so it's their obligation. They have to, Listen. So if you feel obligated to give, I'm going to tell you right now, don't give. And the third stipulation or standard, if you will, is this, is that we give with what? We give with a cheerful attitude. Right. Now, now I, I will say this. Sometimes it's hard to give. And we've talked about this with other principles. So there is a, there's a principle in here. Um, what, what I'm never going to do is be like, well, God, I know I'm supposed to go serve, or I'm supposed to go do this, or, I'm, or, or, or I did kind of want to give this money, and my wife and I, we talked about it, and the kids saved up, or we did whatever, but my attitude's not right right now, so I'm just I'm just not going gonna, gonna to do it. You know what? This is, this is in life when we say, all right, God, my attitude... I now mean, I want to give, but yet I don't want to give. It's one of those wanna do, not want to do things, right? I think we've all experienced that, right? And and there are times when we say, Right, God, I I, I I do I do want to give. I set this aside. You know, I set Sunday morning aside. Randy sets Wednesday evening aside. we we, we do this. And there are times that we come into the church with not a cheerful attitude. Okay? Um so I'm not gonna give, God, because I don't have a cheerful attitude. It's when I ask God, right? To do what? To work that in me and to work that through me and say, God, I'm, I'm, I have decided in my heart to be here. I have decided in my heart to give this. My attitude is not what it should be. And so I pray, Lord, that you would conform my attitude to my actions. But again, all of that, right? Giving what you've decided, giving voluntarily and giving with a, a cheerful attitude, that's that's ultimately, that's, that's between you and God it's between you and God to work out. So we have those standards of New Testament giving. Those are the standards that we're bound by. Now, we do have some direction in giving, and, and we're going we're to actually end with, with this. Um, so we've got, got three. I'm going to give you three specific um, uh, 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 areas, if you will, that we have some direction. And when we give, whatever it is we give, where that's kind of directed towards or to. Um, the first one is we give in supporting the needs of others, and we know, listen, people have have given in incredible ways, I mean, sometimes it's been money, we have a financial need, and and really, that's the only, it's the only way that this this need can be met, is, I mean, they need money, we could could give them a cow, and it wouldn't do any good, right, but we've had other people that have needed beef, right, that have needed food, and we've been able to give them a, a cow, or give them whatever, right, and so again, we're just, just keep in mind, keep an open mind when we're talking about giving, all right we need all these things, but we give in support of the needs of others. We'll start in acts two acts two verse forty five we have an awesome i mean just uh actually I'm just going to read forty two through uh the end because it's just a great little passage but specifically verse 45 so acts 2 42 through the end talking about the church here right um and they devoted themselves to the apostles teachings and to the fe- you know we can do that too right how do we devote ourselves to the apostles teachings right? through the word right That's that's how we devote ourselves now like they were actually in their presence but but we have their teachings right here they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together had all things in common. Right? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Listen, the church was, they were, as there were needs in the church, other members of the church were meeting those needs. And the, specifically here, they were, they were doing it by, by selling their possessions. Right? I mean, maybe they didn't have money. If they would have had money, maybe they wouldn't have sold their possessions. I don't know, but one example we have of church members, if you will, believers, we'll say that, believers meeting the needs of other believers. Okay, we see it also in Romans, Romans 15 Romans 15, um, 25 and 27. Paul says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem. Remember, he wanted to go to Rome. Right? I mean, that, it was, boy, I mean, he, he wanted, he he got to Rome, we know that. But he's writing the Romans before he ever got to Rome, the church at Roman, Rome, right, before he ever got there. But he's telling them right now, he said, listen, at present, I, I am, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, Bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Acacia, the churches there, okay, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So here we have two churches sending money to the church in Jerusalem via Paul. So, so one again, one area or one way that we should direct our giving should be to support the needs of other believers. All right, the next one is this: it's supporting Christian uh, uh, workers. Um, First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 9 11 um, 11 and twelve. Paul says if we have uh, a sown uh, a spirit talking about him and his his, his, his workers right the, the, those that were traveling with him uh, 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 in general uh, uh, apostles, uh, uh, pastors right um, missionaries um, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? I mean, he, he had physical needs, right? I mean, consider consider Paul. I mean, he was a missionary, he was a pastor, he was itinerant, he was traveling all around, and and he had he had material needs. We know that he was a tent maker, but he still had needs above what he could produce. And he said, "Listen, I, we we need help, and and church, it's right for you to support us when we need help, right?" Okay, we also see it in 1st Timothy. 1st Timothy 5:18. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Again, it is right for us as a church to support those in Christian ministry. All right, so we've got support for the need of others, support for Christian workers, pastors, ministers, whatever. And then um, the final one is support for Christians, uh, Christian missions. Philippians um, 4, 15 through 16. I'll start in verse 14. Um, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Only, Only you. So the Philippian church did what? They provided, again, financial support for Paul, the missionary. So, again, when we give... We give what we've decided. We give voluntarily. We give with a cheerful attitude. And as believers, we want to direct our giving right in support of the needs of others, in support of Christian workers, in support of Christian missions. These these are the New Testament standards. These are the standards and the requirements placed on us here and now when it comes to how we give, why we give, and where we give. So let's do this. Let's pray that God would enable us to be good stewards of all that he has entrusted with us. Because again, none of it's ours. Your stuff is not your stuff, but it's God's stuff. So let's live in such a way that reflects that it's his and that we're only taking care of it for a very, very short time. Let's pray. Father, it is true and it is right that everything, everything is yours—the whole earth and everything that it contains. And Lord, I know we often, um, when it comes to stewardship, we often, uh, we often blow it, um, wasting our time, our talents, our, our our resources on, on things that 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 really don't don't matter. We in, we invest it, if you will, in in worthless things when we shouldn't be investing. Everything about us into the kingdom, that we should we should be sowing our lives into the kingdom, that we would see a bountiful harvest, and so lord, I, I do pray that that you would um, that you would give us what's necessary to be good stewards of of everything, that we would honor you, and that we would reflect your grace. And your mercy and how we treat the goods that we've been entrusted with the time that we've been entrusted with the 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 money that we've been entrusted with lord when we when we fail which which we, we we do i do um as as do all of us lord we do pray that you would show us our failures that you would you would convict us and and then father again you would give us the strength to do what we know is is right jesus jesus you did it right you, um, you completely and totally um, submitted every aspect of, of your life here on earth to the Father and to the will of, of the Father. And um, we, we thank you. We thank you for that. I and mean, it, it is an example. I mean, it is an example and it is a standard, Jesus, because you, you are the standard. And the reality is, is we owe you no less. We do love you, Lord, and we praise you, and it's in your name for your sake that we pray.